You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, who provide innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Sunwiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, One Step Off the Grid and the electric vehicle focused TheDriven.io. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, how are you? Oh, just fine, thank you. A little bit chilly today. Uh, winter has definitely struck down here in Sydney, uh, Giles. The heaters are on, the fires are blazing, but uh, outside of adapting to winter, all good. Yes, winter most certainly has arrived. Um, my main ambition this particular winter is to go through the surfing season and surf every day without a full wetsuit. And so I'm out there with my bodies <sighs> and my and my and my top. I've got a wetsuit top, but not the whole thing. Wow. And um, today was a bit of a challenge. Um, not least because not least because there weren't any actual waves, but also because um, the water was warm, but the wind was frigging cold. So um, we might just sort of keep an update on that over the next. You know, maybe this can be one of the sort of you know the the ancillary themes to this podcast. Can Giles get by without a wetsuit? Um, How many weeks can he sustain? Oh, well, I'm super know. impressed. Uh, I know some I know some people who uh, are iceberg swimmers, and uh, my wife loves a cold swim. Loves a cold swim. I couldn't think of anything more horrendous in my life. Uh, so I'll leave it all to you and watch in the, with a warm hoodie, maybe a little beachside fire from the distance, and I'll uh, I'll I'll give you a, a round of applause. Well, you know, look, I have actually been chased out of my backyard pool because it's sort of finally got a bit too cold, down about 18 degrees. And I went for a swim the last time about two weeks ago and I came out feeling like an icicle and wondering why I didn't, when I installed my rooftop solar system, actually have the presence of mind or thoughtfulness of putting a diverter in to actually heat the damn thing. But um, anyway, mm. um, maybe there's an opportunity mm. to do that in the future. But look, we better get back on, this, on the topic at hand. Um, very quickly before introducing us, very, going very on. special. Well, yeah, look, we've got a special guest coming up soon, but I just thought we'd just do a quick wrap of the main news before introducing him. And um, look, I guess um, a couple of things both this week. One is the rooftop solar data coming out from both Sunwiz um, and the other people at Green Energy, energy Trading Markets. Um, 220 megawatts of rooftop solar. So the... The COVID-19 thing has finally had a bit of an impact. It's down two months mm. in succession. Normally it bounces, normally it goes down in April and bounces back up in May. This year it went down in April and kept on going down in May. Only about 12% mm. below March, still the third biggest ever. So look, the market's still pretty strong. It's had a little bit of impact. What, what are you hearing from your people? Yeah, look, I mean, um, I think the the data um, the data sort of speaks for itself. You know, it's and and I'm always intrigued by the lag. And I did chat with uh, with Warwick from a PV Cell and Sunwheels about this uh, a few weeks back now uh, to try and um, get a sense of how many people were just kind of pouring STCs into the market that they might have banked. And there's a bit of that going on, but the sense is that there's not heaps of it. So it still seems to be a pretty reasonable indication. Um, it, 
it's interesting though because uh, certainly you know if we look at our sales our sales are on a recovery and uh, to most of the people I'm talking to in the market are also talking about things strengthening and um, you know the market's starting to get rolling again very very strong in residential so the same themes really Giles you know commercial still very tight very hard to to get some projects over the line but some are moving and certainly you know um, uh, it's with great delight that I announced the Narrabeen RSL's back open for drinks. Uh, there's a wonderful uh, manager down there who I know intimately, <laughs> and so I life is to returning a, to I normal. Think you have to make a declaration of interest there, Nigel, but um, that's okay. Yeah, look, like life, life is turning, um, go back to normal, and it certainly looks like we're yeah. headed towards well above two. I mean, what, what did we do last year? Two point two gigawatts or something like that. We're still even with the COVID yeah. um, impact. We're still doing. We're still thirty five percent ahead of that. So it's going to be quite a phenomenal. Um, it is. Phenomenal... I mean, like the, the thing, the thing that we still have to watch is later in on in this year when you know the economics tighten up as a result of everyone suddenly have to pay mortgage again, and you know all those kinds of things, and JobKeeper ending, and uh, you know there's still there's still some bumps in the road ahead, I fear, but it's a really really good sign. I and I hope we see a bump back in the data in the next month. That'll be really interesting to see if it um, if Warwick's data uh, indicates a even more of that recovery that we're already starting to see and hear about. Yeah. Look, the other big um, notable piece of um, news and information and data and research that came out this week was the Clean Energy at Work report put together by the Clean Energy Council, put together by the guys at the University of Technology in Sydney and the Institute of Sustainable Futures and some notable mm. other contributors, including, I think, your good self, Nigel. Um, pretty important stuff Indeed. in the context of what we do as we bring the economy back to um, somewhere near where it was. Uh, there's all sorts of talks about various stimulus packages and where that investment should come. I think we've heard over the last couple of weeks, a lot of the committees put together by the federal government have been very, very focused on gas. And some people, that's a pretty bad idea because it probably end up with stranded assets and it's not quite what we need, both in terms of cost and pollution and even just um, in an engineering-wise, um, possibly not needed if you look at the um, AEMO um, integrated system plan. But this points to 44,000 jobs that could be created uh, through a stimulus package for the uh, clean energy industry. Just under the ISP's step change plan, which is the one that we actually need to meet the target of 1.5 degrees, which is where we'd all like to get to, having seen the impact of the bushfires last summer on just one degrees. Tell us more about this report, Nigel. Yeah, look, I, I've, I've skimmed it and uh, obviously had a, had a little bit of input with um, the guys at UTS with some data that I used to collect. And I, I don't think it could have come at a better time, really, because, you know, in, in summary, what it's what it's confirmed in, in a really nice, up-to-date way is that there are 25,000 people employed in the renewable energy industry. Uh, so we are a, a notable and significant employer. And what's really, really good is to have a recent analysis of it. That's the critical thing that's been missing for a while uh, is, is to get an update on this. So I'm so glad we've got an update. Um, a couple of highlights for me. Number one is that you know, small-scale solar and small-scale batteries are uh, massive employers in the sector. No big surprise to us, but you know, a great reminder that 
you know, the small scale industry really carries uh, to some extent the the employment because uh, there are so many people required and it's a very hands on um, uh, industry. Um, it has it crosses over into logistics and warehousing and all these other fields that are, are quite it's quite a challenge to get the good numbers. But um, the other thing that I really um, thought was great to see highlighted yet again is that, you know, the employment across our industry is concentrated largely in rural and regional areas. Um, or at least the fringes of cities. So, you know, it really is a very powerful employment factor in rural and regional Australia. Um, and lastly, I, I, you know, I've talked about this this data over the years and it was great to see it highlighted again, and that is that renewable energy projects employ more people than domestic coal mining and coal power generation almost all the way through to 2035 uh, under a variety of scenarios. So, you know, we're material, um, we're actually bigger employer than the coal sector, despite what they'll tell you, um, and the opportunities for growth uh, under all these um, under all these different scenarios is just fabulous. So solar does it again, great employer. Absolutely. And I think that's a really important thing to note is the, is the comparison with the fossil fuel industry because we keep on hearing, ah, oh, their contribution to the economy, ah, oh, their contribution to jobs. And just remembering that um, the solar industry does employ more than the domestic coal mining, I think, is really important. Look, I'll just take this opportunity to thank yeah. our sponsors. Uh, Sunwiz PV Cell from Sunwiz, who we just mentioned a while ago in relation to the latest update on the small-scale rooftop solar market. Clinergy, we had Sean Goodsey on our podcast last week, and it was good to hear from him as uh, looking at uh, how we're going through the pandemic and uh, also the um, the market for framing technologies, etc. And also mm. Solar Analytics, which is your good company. Look, we've got a very special guest. I mean, you've sponsored us right from the start, and we really do appreciate this. And um, I think it's probably time that uh, we introduce our special guest. And I thank your boss, Nigel, um, and um, Stefan Younas. You better sit up straight, I think, Nigel, and, um, and mind your P's and Q's. <laughs> Stefan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you very much, Giles. It's nice to be here. Look, it is great to have you here. And look, once again, just directly to you, thank you very much for your support for this podcast. I think it's very much appreciated by us. And I also think it's really appreciated by everyone in the industry that this podcast exists and it's an exchange of ideas and keep people informed and um, in touch with what's happening in the industry. We've got you on because one of the issues that we're facing in the solar industry, and we've seen this in reports from the Energy Networks, we've seen this report in, from COAG, we've seen it in the reports from the in, uh, from AEMO in their Renewables Integration Study, in their Integrated System Plan, the need to manage or to at least get some insight into what's happening with rooftop solar. Now, rooftop solar is already sitting on 2.2 million households. It's probably going to double and triple and even quadruple that over the next 5, 10, 15 years. It's going to be an extraordinary contribution to the to the nation's grid. I mean, I think there's estimates between 25 and 40% contribution to our energy supply will come from distributed energy, which is primarily rooftop solar, but also with the added technology such as battery storage, demand management, and electric vehicles. Now, you guys have just put out a report, a bit of a sort of a, a blueprint or a guide to the way that people start need to start thinking about rooftop solar and the way it's managed and the way it's monitored. Tell us a bit more about it, Stefan, and why it's important. Yeah, thanks. 
Giles. Look, this all came about because I'm not sure if you know, but Solar Analytics is the largest provider of energy data, particularly DER energy data to the market. We provide data, anonymized and aggregated data from our fleet of 38,000 real-time sites to most of the DNSPs, AMO, and a whole host of other bodies, including the Energy Security Board most recently. What all of that taught us is that every time they saw the data, they went, oh, this is so helpful. It will help us manage the grid more cost effectively. Do you have any more? And we went, well, no, but we're only one of dozens of companies who are collecting data very similar to this. The problem everyone has is we're all collecting it slightly differently. And that makes putting it together into something that is useful to help us plan the grid of the future very difficult. So what we did was we got together with um, Enphase and GreenSync and Switched In and Fronius and Tesla and Sonnen and Wattwatchers and I'm going to forget someone here, Edge Electrons and Redback. Um, and basically, I think between us, we covered 50% of the um, new systems being installed in the market. And we said, all right, we're already collecting this system, most, this data most of the time. What is the right data? So we put a stab at that. And then we went out to all of the DNSPs, AMO, the ESB, the AER, the Clean Energy Council, the Smart Energy Council, the Solar Energy Installers Association, Solar Cutters, um, the Energy Networks Association. If there's a three or four letter acronym that we have not been talking to in the last 12 months, I'll be gobsmacked. And <laughs> to this their is, credit. This is very acronym oh, I, I'm a buzz with acronyms, not Giles, a buzz. Um, but to their credit, every single one of them responded positively. They all came back to us with really good suggestions. Many of my initial suggestions were thrown out the window as being completely daft. Um, and we came to a place where we got, a, somewhat surprisingly, complete agreement on it. Um, and there was a lot of discussion. In fact, the Clean Energy Council described it as the issue, this is Darren Gladman, real industry veteran, God bless him. He said, this issue generated more discussion than anything else he's ever done, hmm. which is impressive. And we've all agreed and we've all signed up and it's now been released um, out there. And it basically says, what is the data that we all need to collect in in you know, it's, it's voltage, it's total site consumption is really important, it's total site generation, um, it's real time five minutes, um, and it's active power, reactive power, voltage, frequency, and so on. And when you get all of that, and we all collect it in the same way, it can then be used to help us, firstly, optimise how we manage the grid. So just sheer visibility of what's happening at the low voltage network is something that all of the network operators, the distribu distribution network companies like Ausgrid and Ausnet and Endeavor and so on, all of them, they had no idea what was happening. They have no idea really how it's working because they just don't have that visibility. So this was, this need is the first step, the first critical step for us in moving towards our future nirvana of a two-way grid that automatically does everything beautiful for us totally clean and reliably at, a, at the lowest possible cost. Um, and, and, you so know, what does all this of mean the, then? Sorry. Yeah, sorry, no, you, you, complete that, then I've got a question I, for you. I was you. just going to say, all of the DNSPs came to us and they said, look, there's, there's a beautiful one, they call it the onion diagram. They said, you know, 
we're at the really outer bit. The, before we can get to the inner juicy bit, which is the virtual power plant, we first need visibility and then we need energy flow visibility. And then we need and go right at the very end. That's when we can do, we can tell you what signals we need to help us manage the grid. But before we can tell you what we need, we need to know what we have. Hmm. So will this form part of what the AEMO will put together? It's sort of talking about a new rule change. It's talking about new inverter standards. Um, it wants to have that visibility, particularly on all new installations that come onto the market. Um, is this going to be, is, what, what's the relationship between the exercise that you've just completed here and where we're going forward with AEMO and the networks, et cetera? Great. Yeah, so I want to stress it's not, I mean, Solar Analytics has been a, a, one of the lead drivers, but it's really been an industry-wide coalition of people who've done this. And, you know, particularly, you know, GreenSync and What Watches and Enphase and Fronius and so on, they've really stepped up and and been very instrumental in this. Um, so it will be, AMO has had a huge amount of input into this, um, and we've been working very closely with them. And so the next stage is that what this guide says is, this is what data we need to collect. The next stage, which to be fair is a little bit tougher, is how do we actually safely and securely, and making sure that we satisfy all of the privacy concerns and everything like that, give that data to the people who need it to make our energy system work better or, or sell that data to the mm. people. How do we make it available to them? Um, and so that's work that will be coordinated by um, AMO, and there's already a lot of work through the ANU and their um, API working group um, who are looking at IEEE 2030.5, um, and there's another AMO group. There's a whole bunch of, uh, there's a number of different groups, you know, Project Evolve and people like that who've been looking at how do we do this? So AMO, if this rule change gets approved, which I think looks likely, will then be the one who will lead and coordinate that. So they'll bring all of these groups, including ourselves, together so that we have an industry-led um, understanding of what data we need to collect, how do we share it with the uh, appropriate parties so that everyone's uh, privacy and everything else is respected, and then finally, what do we do with that? How do we then use that to make our um, network stronger and more resilient and lower cost for everyone? Mm. I suppose it's understanding the nature of the data, which is really important here, because that is then going to sort of govern the sort of decisions that AEMO will make. And one has to hope that this is going to be nothing but beneficial in the long term, because as you say, the market operator probably needs the visibility over distributed energy, particularly is going to form such a large part of the uh, contribution to the grid. And then it has to make decisions about how to manage that, and then in some cases about how to control that. And it's talked about a few things like being able to sort of switch off various parts or sort of um, cap the output of, of various parts in certain circumstances during the year. And I guess that sort of raises a lot of concerns from, you know, many people in the industry who don't really want to be told what to do by outside forces or centralised controls and things like that. But I guess if we get the information right, the data right, and then we make, then make the right decisions, then my view is and my hope is that we will then make the world the right decisions about actually probably relaxing some of the arbitrary restrictions that have been imposed in some parts of the network now because then once we've got greater understanding and standing about it, we can actually make realistic decisions, allow solar to do its thing for most of the time and then just in those couple of occasions when it does become an issue because of low demand, 
exceptionally good solar output or, or whatever the case may be, then maybe some intervention occurs. Is, is, um, Look, um, the, the good news... I think I went on a bit of a rant there, but I can't remember what my point was, but I think um, <laughs> I think it's start with good data and then you make good decisions. <laughs> the, the good news, Giles, is that, that that's actually reality, not hope. So we've seen that when we provide this data to DNSPs, they improve the outcome for our solar customers. So a service we regularly provide is we inform DNSPs, hey, you're clipping Mr. and Mrs. Jones's solar system down here all the time with no need. Your voltages are all set too high. And they go, oh, great. Now they can see it. They go out, they tap it down. Beautiful. So already there's about, I think it's a one and a half percent from the recent study by UNSW of solar output is being curtailed due to these blunt force uh, arbitrary export limits. Um, we know from our data, and we've shown that they can be eliminated today. And once you, when you double the amount of solar out there, if we don't have this data and we don't allow um, some level of um, control in the future for when and how much we export, the inevitable outcome is only one of two things. Either A, you won't be allowed to put solar on or to export it, or B, um, we will be gold plating the networks again, which drives up the cost of electricity for everyone. And those are both poor outcomes for solar owners as well as um, all energy consumers. Hmm. Just want to check that figure. Did you say 1.5% curtailment? That sounds like a pretty low figure, actually. Yes, it is. It is. I'm, I'm, look, I'd have to reread the 78-page report done by um, University of New South Wales, which was an outstanding bit of work um, but I'm pretty sure from memory that's correct so it is it is today the amount of solar curtailment is for the vast majority of customers trivial however if we double the amount of solar on our network which we expect to happen over the next five plus years it won't be trivial unless we significantly upgrade the network so but hmm. but that curtailment and and the other thing about that curtailment that one and a half percent is 99 percent of that curtailment is unnecessary it doesn't need to be curtailed it's just an arbitrary limit mm. Mm. so if we had mm. if we had um, what people are calling flexible or dynamic export control today and i want to stress there's a lot that needs to be done before we can get there so visibility is the first thing then understanding what we want there's, there's, there's some steps we need to take um, but if we can do that where we have that these people won't be losing one and a half percent. They'll be losing 0.15 percent of due to export limiting, and it will just be export limited harder at those few hours of the year when we need it to be done. So it's a mm. great, it's a win for everyone. It's a it's a win mm. for the solar owner. It's a win for their neighbour who doesn't have solar, um, and it's a win for the um, network providers. Mm. So, Stefan, well, that sounds uh, like a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. It is a good thing. It's it's actually really valuable for me to hear the boss on his um on his soapbox uh, talking about this project that he's been working on feverishly because I only kind of hear around the fringes and it's great to hear it all distilled down. So thanks, Stefan. One one question I wanted to ask because a lot of our listeners are installers. What what is what is the guide coming back to the guide? What is the guide a mean for solar installers today and b how can they get behind it if they think it's a good idea? What can they do to, um, you know, uh, contribute to it being uh, adopted more widely? So, so the first thing is, at the moment, it is a voluntary guide. Um, so that it's not mandated anywhere. You don't have to do any of this. 
It's a voluntary guide, and that gives all of the technology providers like, you know, Fronius and Enphase and all the inverter manufacturers and all the third-party manufacturers, like Solar Analytics, we have to make some small changes in how we get data because, try as I might, everybody didn't agree with how I wanted it done. Um, so we have to make some small changes. Everyone has to make some small changes. And quite a bit came out of it where, where we all looked at each other at one point and we said, so who's collecting the NIMI? And we all looked at each other in the room and we all looked at the ground and shuffled our feet a bit and went, well, we know we should, but we're not. So, you know, things like that, that, yeah, we've all got to... Um, the NIMI, just for, just for those... with. Just for those who don't know the acronym, the NIMI is a national meter identifier. So it's the number of your official utility meter. And what Stefan's talking about there is the fact that, you know, we're, when we commission a solar analytics site or anyone commissions a monitoring site, they put in certain information about the solar panels and the inverter and orientation and all that kind of stuff. And we could also all be collecting uh, the NMI data to say, you know, what is the meter number so that we've then got a reference point that connects it to the official metering data. So, um, yeah, that's a that's a great example of a simple win, right? Yeah. Um, so back back to your question, what, what do we need to do now? Um, so the key thing is adding in consumption. So you can do that with a Fronius, a Solar Edge, a Tesla, or something. Like almost every single inverter on the market is already capturing or able to capture 90% of what we need. So capturing total solar consumption is really important. Um, and it's important because it lets you see the energy flows and lets um, uh, the networks and AMOs and the universities who are all modeling this stuff understand much better the impacts and what our opportunity is. So, you know, and that particularly comes into things like demand response and so on. Um, so understanding those things is, is absolutely crucial. So as an installer to get behind it, you know, look, we would encourage you to install, um, you know, the smart meter. I think Fronius, Enphase, they all have one. Most of them are now trying to encourage you to install one as well. Convince your customers to pay the extra couple of hundred bucks to stick in a consumption meter. And there's two reasons for doing that. Firstly, it's good for the industry. But secondly, it's great for the customer. We have shown that people who monitor both their solar generation and their energy consumption have a much better experience of solar because they now can see when they're consuming they can see how to change that they can see what to do all of those things um, and so it provides one of the things that we've got in the guide is that not only do you have to collect this data but there's a set of data you must provide to the homeowner so you know we've had we had input from the energy consumers association who were really explicit with us and we took that on board that you need to get homeowners consent for all of this and you need to provide them something in return, which is a rich level of real-time monitoring, um, which shows consumption and generation. Um, and that we know, we know ourselves that that provides real value to our customers. That's absolutely right too. And it's not just because people spend the rest of their lives just sort of glued to the monitor. What usually happens, and I think it happens in, in a lot of different technology, well, some of us might stay glued to the, to, to, to the monitor for the rest of our lives, but that's probably our job or our sad outcome. But um, a lot of people just do that for a first few months of actually having the equipment, maybe three months or six months or depending on what their interest is. But that actually gives them so much information and so much understanding. It actually forms an important part of the way they understand and they use their, not just their solar panels, but also their consumption within the house. 
Look, look. I, I like to think of it as um, something. You know, we all, we we spend about nine minutes a year thinking about energy. We're not trying to increase the amount of time you think about energy. We're just trying to make that time more enjoyable. So, so some classic examples we have. You know, most of our customers they log in once or twice a month, a couple of minutes, just see how things are. But they log in when they have a reason. So they might their reason might be like you, Giles. Um, oh, when when do I charge my electric vehicle? When have I got lots of solar so I can charge my electric vehicle? How much should I be charging it at the moment so I just use the solar? Someone might be using it to say, oh, when when do I put on the dishwasher? When do I put on the pool pump? Those sorts of things. Um, another one, it's a great argument settler. So we've had numerous examples of people ringing up, us up and going, um, oh, you just won me an argument. Thank you very much. I'll buy you a beer. You know, we had an argument between a husband and wife where the husband was saying the air conditioner is way more energy efficient than the fan. And she didn't believe him. And he and so she pulled out solar analytics. Needless to say, he lost that argument. <laughs> so it really does help help with those I had things. one of those and arguments yeah, just this week. <laughs> <laughs> Did you win or lose, Knight? Um, actually, uh, I have to admit, I lost as well. Uh, I, I mean, who would have thought that uh, a, an oil field bar r- radiator is actually more efficient than a fan heater, uh, a small fan heater? Um, now, there are a couple of caveats, but, you know, full credit where it's due. I didn't actually tell her the outcome of the monitoring. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, it's, you know, what we find is people come back to, you know, they might have it, they get a bill that looks higher than usual. They come back and they have a look and go, why? Because I don't know about you, I can't read my energy bill for quids. No, me um, neither. So things like that. So people just come back to it when they have a need, you know? Yeah. So, and that that's what we see. But there's real value. If you don't have consumption, there's almost never a need. Hmm. Uh, let, let alone voltage. And I've actually spoken with a couple of different customers this week who uh, were talking about how they had used our data to work with the DNSPs to actually rectify over voltage. Uh, there was a terrific, actually a listener, an avid listener, Giles. Um, shout out to Steve, um, who was very excited when I picked up the phone at uh, Solar Analytics and uh, had a yarn with him and talked about some of the things that he'd done at his place. He's got a particularly tricky site, but he'd had to do some voltage optimization. I'm um, actually, Giles, looking at your site and did you know that your voltage on an average day varies between 223 volts and about 242 volts i didn't know uh, there is a very notable i didn't know that why does it do yeah. that and what does it mean for my toaster and my other appliances well it means that you know the voltage is moving around it's much higher during the uh, we won't get bogged down in the details but I might come back to you on that but you know that's an example of the type of thing that you can you that the networks in particular can go wow why is the network doing that why why are my lines suddenly changing in voltage uh, by you know 10 or 15 volts over the period in your case it's only about half an hour um, it may be a simple explanation. It may be a maintenance issue. It may be a load issue on the local network. Who knows? But there's so many lessons that can be learned. And and as and you know, this is where I think the benefit of what Stefan's been talking about is so great. Is if everyone's collecting this data anyway, 
All we have to do is make it all common and encourage everyone um, to acknowledge the benefits and, and you know, mm. try and get it all in the same format and then uh, we'll all benefit. St- Stefan, maybe one question you can answer just about Voltage. I mean, you talked about the sort of the insight that you've been able to deliver to the networks and meaning that they've actually been putting restrictions on some output but they haven't needed to. What's been the broad finding then of the relationship between rooftop solar PV and Voltage and the way it sort of plays in the grid? Because you read some media and it gets really bad press as though it's a um you know it's a un- unsolvable problem um and others where you can sort of say well it's not such an issue because is it, if it can be seen and managed then it's not a problem at all so look uh, again the bible on that is the unsw report that was prepared for the uh, energy security board just in march of this year um, and they used our data plus data from a bunch of other companies and they examined that in great detail. And what they showed was unequivocal. They showed that voltage is and always has been a challenge for the networks to regulate between the, you know, the 216 and the 253 that they have to keep it between. And you know, and that's always been a challenge for them. And historically, what they've done is they've set the voltage high because they figure at the start it'll be high, and by the end of the feeder, it'll be low. And that's what we do. With solar. Solar has not caused this problem. In fact, even if there is no solar present, they're often going outside that range. However, solar has made life more challenging because they now have two-way flows of energy. Um, And so they do need this visibility now. So solar has certainly made it more challenging for the networks to maintain voltage within that prescribed window. However, it is not the cause. There are massive fluctuations in load. You know, we found that over voltages, there's a lot of over voltages occur at midnight, which pretty sure is not due to solar. What would it be too? So, oh, well, it, it's just a it's, a, it's a combination of low load. It's basically low load. So if you mm. have low load, but the generators, our coal-fired power stations, they're pumping. They don't stop. They're just pumping out. Yep. And if all the load comes off, the voltage goes up. Fair it's similarly, you know, when you see when you see high voltage in the middle of the day, there's there's a fair chance that's due to local solar, and particularly when you look at it compared to other feeders. The other thing, though, is we what what the analysis showed is that um, whereas you the nominal voltage is 230 volts, on average feeders are sitting more at 240, 245. So they've been set high. And they've got quite quite a lot of them have headroom below. So our data helps the networks tap those transformers back down so that they're now within range. And that's why they need this visibility, So because it helps them with their operations and maintenance. It also helps them. There's a whole host, and, and I won't get into the technical details, but there's a whole host of new technical equipment that um, networks call dynamic voltage adjustment. So what they can do is they can go into a substation, and if a substation is um, really low voltage um, overnight and really high voltage in the middle of the day, they can put in a tap that taps taps the transformer down in the middle of the day, so it adjusts that, and up in the middle of the night. So it accounts for that. So they can handle that with some of the new technology that's out there. Mm. Um, so that's why this data is so important to them. Mm. Um, I guess the big question for your listeners is, what does it mean for them if the voltage is too high or too low? And? Um, and the answer is well. Firstly, your well. Fir- firstly, if the voltage is high, you'll pay a little bit more for your electricity because you're getting a bit more power. Um, secondly, 
um, your lights will burn a little brighter and a little bit faster, depending on, unless they've of course got transformers attached to them, like the LED downlights some do. Um, most of the equipment today, like your laptops and, and so on, have their own power conditioning unit in them. So for them, it makes no difference. Um, some motors will struggle. If the voltage goes too low, they will struggle. And if it goes too high, they can burn out. So there are good reasons, both um, safety and equipment lifetime, for keeping it within that range between 216 and um, 253 volts. You know, it can go a bit above and a bit below for short periods of time. Mm. And this monitoring and these next steps in the um, monitoring and management of this will, will help all of that um, into the future. Yeah, correct. I mean, you know, look, this is just the first the first step in a long journey to get us to our nirvana of 2025 with a full two-sided energy market, um, which, you know, which is cheaper, cleaner, greener electricity for everyone. Mm, yes, um, and yeah, so really it goes, it goes visibility first, simple control second, if I just do it in three basic steps, and thirdly, um, some, some level of automated control. Mm. And at the moment, the industry is really debating what level of automated control will we have. That's, that's a very much an unknown. The second step of, well, how do we actually control generation? Is it just a simple week ahead export limit? Is it based on feeders? How do we do that? Um, but today, the challenge is, let's get this data. And importantly for us, let's make sure the data is accessible to all of the industry players so that they can provide useful analysis. And that includes, you know, the CSIRO and universities and AMO and the Energy Security Board and the AMC and all of the DNSPs and the Clean Energy Regulator. Once they can see all of this data, it helps them make better regulations, which provides lower cost um, and greener electricity for all of us. Excellent. You are listening to Solar Insiders. We'll be back in a moment. SunWiz are Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's new partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by a world-leading solar software platform. With personalised training and assistance, PV retailer benchmarking and individually tailored proposals, SunWiz will accelerate your solar business in the right direction. Unlock the wisdom of 10 years' experience assisting leading solar companies by visiting sunwiz.com.au. You are listening to Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm joined by Nigel Morris, my regular co-host, and our special guest, Stefan Yanasson from Solar Analytics. Nigel, before we wrap up, let's just sort of figure, um, go to our last two little segments. First of all, uh, Crap Solar. You've got some news about the decline of telemarketing in solar, which I'm guessing is going to be a good thing. Always a good thing. Always a good thing. Um, yeah, it was a little, um, I can't remember where I picked this one up um, out there, but um, the Australian Communications and Media Authority uh, put a little press release out, uh, not that last month actually, saying that solar complaints have halved. They keep a track of complaints from all sorts of different industries, um, particularly focused on telemarketing. Um, they have um, put in place some enforceable, enforceable undertakings and yeah, reported people against the do not call register and so forth previously so really watching this space very very closely and it had been a uh, a bit of an issue going back a few years there was um, uh, quite a notable um, presence of um, telemarketers in our space 
Um, but it's dropped down now from almost 3,400 to 1,700 complaints um, in the last year up until March 2020. So that relatively, that's a very, very small number now. Great news. Um, solar industry doing the right thing. Across the board, less complaints. I love it. And it's yeah, absolutely, and it suggests that there's a few less cowboys out there, um, which is another good mm. thing. On to our last section, EV and battery news. Matt, um, you seem to have a bit of a positive news about your um, your zero motorcycle. Yeah. Your zero electric motorcycle. Well, yes, you know the saga continues. It's it's like a Nordic saga now. Maybe I'll leave a saga behind when I'm dead about you know what it's been like owning an, an early electric motorcycle. But suffice to say, um, there's been a change, and I, I can't say anything official yet. But what um, what has happened is zero have appointed um, one service agent officially, um, and another one unofficially that'll hopefully become official uh, very very soon. Now this is huge news for all you know 150 owners uh, in Australia because without service you can't do anything. You, you you're really really limited, and um, it speaks to all sorts of issues. It speaks to the right to repair, for example. Uh, it speaks to you know being abandoned. Uh, um, if you if you own a, a you know, zero and you couldn't get service or support or warranty support or anything else like that locally, then you you know you really had a bit of a lemon on your hands. And um, I don't have a lemon on my hands, but I've been extraordinarily frustrated. But zero have changed some stuff. Interesting, interestingly, they have also changed their warranty support program for dealers, which had been a bit of a glitch in the past. It hadn't really worked for the dealers, which is why they stopped doing it. So um, this is massive news uh, for uh, zero owners in Australia who may need support, like myself. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, busting at the chops to find out exactly what it means and when I can get my bike back. But I think what's even more interesting is that for zero to get behind this and to actually, um, and, and they did talk to me about the fact that they wanted to do this and it's taken an awful long time. But the fact that they have persisted, Giles, the fact that they have got two service agents now, starts to smell a little bit me like uh, they might be getting a bit interested in Australia again. Um, so, you know, I'm actually really, really excited, not just because I'm getting not just because I'm getting the bike back, but um, hopefully soon. Um, but also, Nigel, what's happened to you? I can't hear him either. Nigel. Okay. I'm just going to pause it there. Um, Stefan, um, you've got an electric vehicle too, I understand, a Model 3. Um, is that right? And have you been enjoying it? I love it, Giles. Absolutely love it. In fact, I'm about to um, head up to Sydney in it. Uh, straight after this call with my son. So absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. It's light to drive and it is so simple. You know, I get home and I plug it in. It's great. And I play the game of trying to charge it only from my, what would otherwise be curtailed export solar. So I've, I've got a five kilowatt export limit. So I, tr I wait for super sunny days and boom, how much can I get for free? <laughs> fantastic fantastic look i think we've lost nigel um, i'd love to continue that conversation about that but i'm going to have to wrap up the conversation now because um i just want to make sure that we can actually upload this so stefan thank you very much for coming on to the program and thank you very much for your work in getting this dr monitoring and um, this evolution um, on track and uh, we very much appreciate your support ongoing support for this podcast as well Oh, thank you very much, Giles. It's an absolute pleasure. And I, I always look forward to listening to the 
Solar Insiders and Energy Insiders podcast. They are the, the leading insight you get from the whole industry. So thank you for all of your efforts. Well, thank you very much. And it's a goodbye from me and it's a goodbye from him as well to borrow an old sign-off from a um, comedy team. Um, Nigel, I hope, has uploaded. He's not with us anymore, but uh, we'll be back in a fortnight. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's new partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. Run your business at maximum velocity with pro setup, training and assistance. Visit sunwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.